When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. Hey, friends. This is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 19. Like I said, it's so easy for leaders at universities, I think, to just pretend that gay students aren't there, when in reality, the reason you think they're not there is because they're too afraid to come out. Caitlin Stout is an unapologetically gay Christian, doing her best to navigate faith and friendship while attending a non-affirming evangelical university. Uh, She likes to talk about sociological theory, sexuality, liturgy, breakfast food, She's a barista, a glitter apologist, and an aspiring seminarian with a heart for those who are still in the closet. Uh, Caitlin and I sat down to talk about what it's like to be an out and proud gay student at a conservative Christian school. I think this is an experience that a ton of us have had. I know I had this experience. Well, I wasn't out, but the experience of being gay and going to a Christian school. Uh, And I'm really excited to have Caitlin on the show today because she did what seemed unthinkable to me when I was at school. She came out. Uh, And so in this episode, we're talking about what her experiences of that have been. uh, And then also her advice to people who are in similar situations and her advice for people in schools who are trying to make those places better for LGBT people. So let's go ahead and dive in. Caitlin, hi. Hey, Matthias. How are you doing today? I am doing great. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Uh, It's really good to have you here. So to start, uh, how do you identify? uh, And then how would you say that your faith has uh, helped form that identity? Yeah, that is such a great question. Um, So first of all, I joke that I identify as a gay kid who is just doing their best right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We're all doing our best. Uh, Yeah, yeah, a gay woman, also a college student, um, a sociology nerd, Mm. uh, wannabe activist, a big one. Yeah. Um, 
hopefully a future seminarian working on applications for that right now. Ooh, good for you. Yeah, excited about that. Yeah. And then uh, most importantly, um, just someone who is trying to love God and live like Jesus. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, for sure. Um, as far as how my faith has informed my identity, that's somehow an even more complicated question than who am I? <laughs> yeah, so I am an ex-evangelical. Okay. I uh, grew up in an evangelical church as a pastor's kid. Um, and I know that that entire sentence carries a lot of baggage with it and a lot of assumptions. I think uh, my evangelical upbringing is not quite uh, the same as a lot of people's. Because even though the denomination I grew up in was fairly conservative, um, my parents and my dad have always been uh, kind of on the fringes of that denomination, a little more progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and our church has always been really awesome about pursuing social justice, uh, which has definitely uh, been a huge part of my faith. That yeah. that upbringing has um, impacted the way I see the way I see the world in some really awesome ways mm-hmm. uh, that I have a lot of appreciation for. Mm. Um, but I'm still in that evangelical culture, that American evangelical culture. You know, I was a camp counselor for a few years, a worship leader, a Bible quizzer, which is a thing Ooh, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is a, always a really fun thing to explain to people who yeah. <laughs> did not grow up in that culture. <laughs> I still have all the trophies. <laughs> um, and I uh, definitely grew up in that evangelical purity culture as well, which I always joke uh, made me able to convince myself I was straight for a long time. <laughs> um, you know, growing up hearing those youth group sermons, I'm like, oh, you don't want me to have sex with my boyfriend? Okay. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but man, I must be really holy because that's not tempting at all. <laughs> um, so, like, the upbringing, definitely, I would never demonize as being all bad um but it was something that i've uh had to deconstruct and kind of try to reconstruct um and i don't think my actual faith really started informing my current identity until i started that deconstruction process um and until i started kind of seeking god outside of the american evangelical context whether that was through traveling and meeting christians of you know completely different cultures right um and then uh, back at home, I, I was invited to visit an Episcopal church a few years ago for the first time. Mm. And <laughs> this was like while I was still super closeted. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've always wanted to go to an Episcopal church, you know, because I like like the liturgy a lot. That's cool. And when <laughs> in reality, I was like, I heard, I heard they were cool with gay people. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when I did start going to an Episcopal church, I really did fall in love with the liturgy and, you know, the completely different worship style than what mm-hmm. I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just this place where I could be fully myself um, and it feels if there was room for me to be doing ministry there mm-hmm. uh, without having to hide any part of who I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, I think, the theme of my faith journey that has most influenced my identity over these past few years has just been realizing that you know, if the gospel is good news, then it's good news for everyone, and it's good news for me. Yeah. Um, and what do I do with that, and how do I share that with others? Right. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, I, I go to an Episcopalian church as well, and, oh, cool. and the first, 
the first time that I stepped into one was I was an undergrad and very similar of like, I've, I've heard they're on board with the gay people, but like talking about the liturgy instead. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) And like, there's something, there's something so beautiful about a tradition that maintains a familiarity and yet the practice is so different from the evangelical churches that I grew up in. Right. Yeah. It's really refreshing. For sure. Yeah. I, I just, I love it. I love it. And I feel like it's, it's close enough to the faith that I love without all of the baggage that kind of comes in with, you know, like singing worship music in a dark yeah. room and like <laughs> all of that <laughs> right. stuff. And yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And like, not that there's anything inherently wrong with singing worship music totally. in a dark room, but you know, when I experiencing that brings along with it, all these other, you know, all this other baggage of, right. you know, these teachings I've had to let go of. And so, yeah, starting in a church so different from my own really felt like a, a little bit of a blank slate uh, kind of yeah. kind of way to explore worship and what that meant for me. Right. Yeah, because I know people who, who grew up in liturgical traditions who have made the opposite movement of where right. the, yeah. the singing worship in a dark room is a whole new way of practicing their faith that brings them so much life. And yeah. I, I just, I love that breadth of tradition that is yeah. in the church. Like Definitely. Yeah, so you mentioned... You're in college, yeah. uh, and uh, you go to a non-affirming Christian school. Uh, and I, I'm curious about that. Tell me, tell me about what that has been like coming out, being out at a campus that is on the campus pride shame list. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is a weird and complicated and difficult and beautiful time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I often struggle with the question of, you know, would I do this over again? Would I, you know, if I went back to my senior year of high school, knowing everything I know about myself mm-hmm. and everything I, you know, believe now, would I, have ended up (laughs) at this school and the answer is you know probably not that probably would not have happened Mm. um but at the same time I can't say that I regret it just because of you know the lessons and the connections and the the things that I've experienced here yeah but um yeah what a lot of people who follow me online probably don't realize is I'm pretty fresh out of the closet (laughs) um Mm. I uh first started openly identifying to like close friends as gay um a little over a year ago mm-hmm. um and for for a lot of my junior year I was you know I didn't like talk about it that much but if anyone asked it was the kind of thing I was you know I was still in the closet but the door was wide open yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that kind of deal um and then over this past summer I started blogging and uh writing more publicly about it um and then yeah that was over the summer so then coming back to campus after that was a really strange uh kind of surreal experience or just like I don't know a little bit a little bit paranoid the first few days back on campus looking around and you know seeing people that I hadn't seen in a while and automatically thinking oh what are they thinking what are they going to talk about when I walk away (laughs) you know um but it's yeah it's a weird time because I, so I'm a sociology major, okay. um, and I uh, so I spend a lot of time 
you know, talking and reading and writing about social structures and systematic oppression and, you know, how that differs from individual experiences. And I feel like being on this campus has kind of given me a bit of a real world example of what that looks like. Because Mm. what's so interesting about it is the people here are wonderful, you know, Um, like (laughs) for the most part, I... I've had very few negative um, interpersonal, like, one-on-one interactions. Hmm. Um, I have a community here that I love. Um, I have a solid circle of friends. I have, you know, mentors uh, who I, you know, feel loved and respected by. Mm -hmm. Um, But the institution as a whole is a dehumanizing one for queer students. Hmm. Uh, no question about it. I uh, the example I always bring up is you know the the one that I don't think most straight students would think anything about. But when I apply for housing every year, there's a little box on my housing application that basically says you know I promise not to engage in any homosexual activity <laughs> um, ah. or uh, just yeah just the small stuff like that or hmm. sitting through chapel services where you can tell the speaker just talks about the issue as if there could not possibly be any queer students in the room, you know? Right. Um, it's just very much this idea. It, it feels as if the school's stance on the issue is that, oh, well, we don't have any gay students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, there aren't, there aren't gay Christians here. Why would, they, why would gay students come here, you know? Yeah. Um, and so my goal for this semester, uh, not that I'm an antagonistic person, I don't mean it in this way, but my goal <laughs> this semester has kind of been to not let them be able to have that stance anymore. You know, mm. like here I am. Um, let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's an interesting time. <laughs> oh yeah. I bet. Cause to, to be that person to like stand yeah. up and say, Hey guys, <laughs> wait, a, <laughs> wait a second. Like uh, I'm right here. Yeah. Like that, that takes a lot of bravery and, strength and I'm sure it comes at a cost to you as well and yeah I'm wondering about that like what what has that cost been to to start doing this work in a, in a place where I, I would imagine is, is probably not entirely welcomed right yeah it's a yeah that's a good question I don't want to make it sound like I'm the you know sole trailblazer of this because right. there's definitely you know, like I said, it's uh, it's community, and um, there's there have been students who have come before me who have kind of done the same thing and paved the way even for myself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely the kind of thing where uh, I don't know. I've watched some friendships kind of dissolve, um, or I've mm. I've had interactions with uh, with people since coming out online where. Uh, it's like you can you can tell it's it's not the same thing that it was a year ago right, right. um and then just i don't know this this constant feeling of having to hide certain parts of your life just in case you know the wrong person takes it the wrong way or um even it's it's extra interesting being someone who cannot pass for straight <laughs> you know like i i'm not a straight passing person i'm very obviously um <laughs> gay woman and it's uh it's and that makes it even more interesting because then like even having to um police friendships like these platonic relationships i have with you know female friends like i feel as if i have to 
be careful even if you know those relationships are completely innocent completely platonic I feel as if I'm constantly policing myself to make sure it doesn't look like anything that could be against the rules you know um and it's just it's just a it's just a time of constant Mm self-awareness um you know constantly scanning the room uh watching what you say who you say it to who's around all the time which is yeah it's a lot (laughs) but yeah that is a lot and i um i have your blog pulled up here and and you have your most recent piece is about is about this exact topic about being gay at a christian evangelical school yeah and kind of that response of like well, you did choose to come here and, um, and you, you write like when you hear that you write like in other words, all of the pain is as if they're saying like all of the pain you have experienced here is actually your own fault or it's not really discrimination if we warn you about it first or you already knew that we didn't want you, want you. Um, and, and then you go on writing about what it, what that experience actually is about like the complexity of yes you did choose this school and you're choosing to stay for specific reasons yeah um and i think i th- yeah i guess i'm wondering if you could maybe go into that a little bit more about that that choice of the tension of choosing to stay um and dealing with some of that pushback of like that like if it's not really discrimination if we warn you first, like, cause that's kind of a very real thing of, yeah. As if a disclosure statement is going to make the discrimination <laughs> right. better. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I think a lot of it comes back to that whole argument, you know, like, Oh, well you decided to come here. So it's okay for us to treat you differently than we treat straight people. You know, right. um, I think a lot of that comes back to just a misunderstanding of what, it means to someone who is gay to be gay. You know, mm-hmm. I, I've written about this a little bit too. A lot of times when we talk about, um, you know, the gay lifestyle or being gay, what people are actually talking about is gay sex. Right. You know? yeah. um, and so I feel like at, at a school like, uh, like mine where, you know, um, I mean, premarital sex for straight couples is also against the rules or, uh, you know, going out and drinking is against the rules, mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but people talk about being gay as like an equivalent to like deciding to go out and get drunk, yeah. <laughs> um, which is just a really fascinating and, you know, obviously misguided way of thinking about that because like, okay, if you're a person who enjoys going out and drinking every once in a while, that's probably not something you would consider to be a sacred part of your identity <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> or I mean like go for it but <laughs> right. or, like it's probably not something that you see as central to who you are as a person or who God you know created you to be um mm-hmm. drawing this equivalency between uh you know being gay um and you know being a gay person who is seeking a relationship who falls in love who decides to hold hands with someone right. <laughs> you know equating that with you know any other rule in the rule book mm-hmm. uh, as if it's not the denial of the basic human experience <laughs> um right. i don't know it's it's an interesting thing and and it, it always comes with the assumption that like i don't know 
he, you knew exactly who you were before you came to college mm-hmm. and no one does, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It comes with this assumption that, you know, you were fully aware of your sexual identity and fully affirming of your sexual identity before you decided to come to this Christian university, which is almost never the case. You know, I know, right. I know of people who, you know, thought maybe coming to a small Christian school would help them, you know, put an end to those sinful urges. Right. <laughs> um, and, and so, like, in that case, you have a lot of really terrified, hurting, deeply closeted people that you're saying this to, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's, it's treated like a political debate, like, oh, mm-hmm. here's an objective thing that the two of us disagree on. But in reality, it's, um, your, you know, your experience, your pain, your journey so far is not something that I can really get on board with. Right. I, don't know. I was in that category of, I, I went to a Christian school and some of the reason, not the, the sole reason, but a reason why I chose it was because I knew they offered counseling yeah. and I wanted to go to counseling to become straight. Like that was the goal. Right. And thankfully that didn't happen. Um, yeah. and, and, <laughs> Thankfully, my therapist took a different route, and and the school itself was uh, definitely pretty solidly side B, so non-affirming, but still, like, you can be gay, you just can't act on it, which, for some Christian schools, that's not even the case, but but I still so distinctly remember sitting one day in, in chapel and hearing the school president talking about side B theology and how is our task as, as Christians to help people who struggle with homosexuality or same-sex attraction to live, you know, chaste celibate lives. And, mm-hmm. and everyone in the room like exploded into applause oh, um, man. <laughs> and cheering. And I just remember looking around and being like, y'all have no idea what right. you're yeah. cheering for. Like I've sat through that same chapel service. Oh, <laughs> and it's just it's so you use the word dehumanizing and i think that's yeah the right word for it like to tell an entire people group that they cannot experience relationality yeah it, yeah let's dehumanize you know it's it's something i've i've had to work through this just anger and bitterness that i i realized that i uh I had like walking around campus and just seeing, you know, straight couples like holding hands or hugging in public right. <laughs> and like looking at them and like wanting to be happy for them. But in my mind being like, I'd get expelled for that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to, I don't know, feel okay about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I know you're, you are not the only person who listens to this podcast <laughs> uh, who it, it is having this experience, who is, right. who is feeling alone, maybe not alone, but who's at a Christian university being one of the few people to be out and trying to, to move these conversations along. Um, and I'd be curious as, as someone who is doing this work, what would you say to those, to those people who <clears throat> are maybe thinking about, trying to do this at their at their school uh or who's who's taking the steps to maybe start coming out in environments that could potentially be hostile what what maybe have you learned from doing this yeah um 
So first of all, I think what I would want to say to those people is even if it seems like it, I promise you are not the only one on yeah. your campus. Yeah. Um, this world is so gay. The church is so gay. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is so gay. <laughs> like, yep. You start the coming out process. Um, the other the other queers will find you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but to be that person to step out and say, you know, here I am, where's everyone else, is definitely terrifying. Um, and it's, I've written a little bit about how I feel like this is important work for me to do for the sake of, you know, helping other people who are in the closet. And I, I feel as if that's true, mm-hmm. but I also, um, if I were giving advice to others, I would want to say that that's not the reason you need to come out. Like coming out is something you do for yourself. Right. Um, when you feel safe, um, when you feel as if it's something that is going to be healthy and good and a growing experience for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if that isn't until after college, like that is fine. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but if you are in a position where you feel like you're ready for, uh, ready for the beautifully mixed bag that is the coming out experience, um, it's a really, it's a really powerful thing, because I know, like a couple of years ago, um, there were older students who are in the position I'm in now, who mm. uh, were open and who would talk about this, and seeing them living their lives and, you know, having a community on campus and being confident with themselves was such an important thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now being on the other side of that and having people come to me and saying that, you know, I've been able to be that person for them is just an incredible experience. So, yeah, I guess my advice would boil down to, you know, don't don't come out for anyone else but yourself. Um, mm. But if you do make that decision, uh, be ready and be excited for the community that will find you. And, um, and I would say being open enough for those people to find you and out enough and, you know, willing enough to have those conversations uh good things happen when that when those line up yeah that idea of i think it's so easy to feel alone especially in the more closed off circles of of the church where this isn't talked about as much like yeah i remember feeling that that same way like i'm the only gay kid here and then realizing like wait a second (laughs) 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 yeah but yeah, it's so easy to feel like you're alone, and and that that stepping out. I mean, it always takes that first person, and that's not. It's not to say that you have to be that first person because I don't think right. we should yeah. ever carry that pressure of I have to be the one to do this because you don't have to be the one to do this. Yeah, um, no, not at all. But if you feel like you want to be the, that person to do it, like there are so many people out there. And there's yeah. a community out there. And, and I know I had professors reach out to me who were like, this is off the record, but I support everything you're doing. How can I help? Like, yeah. and there's, there's the undercurrent of people who are working to make change happen in yeah. these worlds. And that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would never say that uh, being gay at an evangelical university is easy, but I would definitely say that the support and the encouragement and the friendships that I've made um, from coming out have outweighed any of the negative. Yeah. So 
on the flip side of that, for people who are listening, because I know, I know there are also people who listen here who are leaders in evangelical universities. So. <laughs> um, yeah. And for those people who are listening, what would you say to them, to those who are maybe trying to affect change at their mm-hmm. universities, maybe in subtle ways who are quietly supportive um, f- for people who have more power in, in those spaces. Um, what would you say to them if you could have like an unfiltered conversation? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, Lots to say. Yeah, I... <laughs> yeah, to, to leaders in evangelical universities, um, especially to those who are affirming um, and are supportive and want to help, and I think there's a lot more of you than, <laughs> than we know about, Um I'd say as much as you can uh, make that support known. And if you can't do it publicly, um, you know, reach out to those students who are out. Uh, mm-hmm. Let them know if you are a safe place. Um, you know, as much as you can make that ally status known um, because that that can make all the difference for a student who is queer, who is questioning their sexual orientation, just knowing knowing that there's someone there that thinks they're okay (laughs) is a life-changing thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, even if, and if you're not in a position to, you know, be openly affirming, um, creating spaces for dialogue, I think are so important because uh, I don't know, for a lot of my college experience, the only quote unquote dialogue that, uh, was really happening about LGBT issues. It was not dialogue at all. It was chapel services, you know? (laughs) Um, And if you have a platform, uh, even if you can't say, you know, like, even if you can't say that you're affirming, um, creating a platform to have at least two-sided conversations um, is an important thing. Or if you have students who are out and who are open to talking about it and who want to discuss it, like, just giving, giving them a voice, amplifying those voices, um, or at the very least, just listening to, <laughs> listening to uh, students when they say that they have not had a positive experience, taking that into consideration, um, and you know, within you know, when it comes to uh, faculty meetings, board meetings, like just, I don't know making that a space to actually hear students' voices who are struggling on campus, I think is so important because, uh, like I said, it's so easy for leaders at universities, I think, to just pretend that gay students aren't there when in reality, the reason you think they're not there is because they're too afraid to come out. Um, but yeah, just acknowledging that we exist and then listening, I think is the biggest thing. I think about the people who've reached out, who who did reach out to me when I came out and the amount of fear that was there on on their behalf as well of like yeah i can't i can't tell anyone because i could lose my job right Um, (laughs) and it's like yeah i mean that's a very real possibility um and like we have a lot of practice keeping secrets like (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah i'm a pro so (laughs) So don't let that stop you from reaching out because 
we can hold that <laughs> alongside you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you ever need a secret camp, <laughs> call your local gay Christian. <laughs> uh, so... I love your Twitter feed, by the way. Like, <laughs> oh, I feel like you. every time you tweet something, I'm like sitting at my desk, just like, yes, like, <laughs> like preach it. Um, and I mean, you're you're so good, kind of bringing that like tongue in cheek humor to <laughs> this process of coming out. Uh, and I'm wondering if you can maybe go into that coming out process a little bit more of especially in regards to dealing with the backlash of coming yeah, out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so coming out has been so, so strange. I So I came out to my family and all my close friends, um, like I said, about a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just great. Like, they were wonderful. That was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And mm-hmm. then, uh, so at that point, I, you know, was pretty much out but like wanted to be able to kind of uh you know not filter myself on social media at all and have people be like wait a second what (laughs) um and so I was like well maybe I should just write a general you know coming out post and then I was like is that just like a Facebook status thing like do I just (laughs) you know hey guys I'm gay all right (laughs) uh I was like well I want to I don't know I want to put a little more you know, this is a big deal. I want to put a little more into it than that. And I was like, maybe I'll write a blog post. I had never blogged before, right? Yeah. And I, uh, but I decided to go ahead and write a full post um, just to kind of, you know, give the situation and the event a little more of the, I don't know, what I felt like it deserved because it, it was a huge step for me, you know? Right, yeah. um, and I wasn't, I, I wrote it like mostly for myself and like kind of for, you know, my social media friends. Um, and got so many responses. I was like, oh, blogging's fun. Like, this is a good thing for me. Maybe I'll, uh, you know, keep that up. And then I wrote a couple more posts. And then one of them just exploded mm-hmm. <laughs> um, in a way that I was not prepared for. Huh. And it was it was so much. Because it was, it was the, uh, the name of the post was, I can't be your gay friend. And it was just about, um, you know, trying to reconcile you know this identity that is so important to me um while still learning how to hold on to friendships with people that I knew would not be able to accept that right and kind of just admitting that I'm I'm not ready to do that yet and that's that's a difficult thing that takes a lot of grace and I don't know if I'm there um and so that post completely blew up and my inbox was flooded for weeks Mm. um and it was (laughs) about 50 50 uh, you know, half of these messages were just awful. Um, you know, telling me I'm going to hell, bringing mm. up those six verses over and over again. Right. Um, yeah, lots of, lots of rough ones. Um, mm. but in between all of those, I would also get the, uh, you know, your post, you know, resonated with me, said everything that I've been thinking, but, you know, I sent this to my friend. I had people who were like sending it to, um, administrators at their conservative Christian schools and like, yeah. starting conversations with it because of that and having panels on the topic all because of this blog post like wow. all these yeah all these crazy beautiful things were happening mm-hmm. um but in the midst of that also getting all this backlash right. was a really 
just such an emotional roller coaster because I like every time I would hear my phone go off, it was just my heart would just drop and I had no idea what it was going to be. So, yeah, there's (laughs) I. Yeah. Coming out was basically that (laughs) for a while. Um, But, you know, things it, it things died down. It became became normal and slowly some of those uh online uh connections that i made with people who you know who uh benefited from my writing i've been able to meet them in real life and i've been able to have those conversations and i've been able to connect them with other people um and that's been such a beautiful thing um and so yeah once again it's such a mixed bag but something where the the positive has outweighed the negative for sure um but it's it's definitely been an experience in learning how to take care of myself and uh, listen to true things and <laughs> pay attention to the good. Right. But. And, and I've noticed, like, you like to nerd out on theology a little bit sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's my which jam. is, yeah, it's just the best. And, and I'm, <laughs> I'm curious about that, too, because, like, how would you say, this is a really big question. Um, <laughs> okay. But, um, <laughs> how have you noticed some of your theology shifting in this process or has it like, um, yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So I, (laughs) I don't, let me think. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just throw an easy question at you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What's your theology? Um, Uh, okay, so first of all, to be clear, I am not at all a theologian, so excuse yeah. any casual heresy that might come out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've taken, like, you know, survey of the New Testament freshman year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's this thing where, uh, yeah, like you said, I nerd out on Twitter a lot, especially about atonement theories yeah. and uh, all that jazz. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Uh, anyone who has spent a significant amount of time as a closeted evangelical has probably Mm. put quite a bit of thought into the topics of sin and guilt, (laughs) Um, uh, which I, you know, originally was super interested in because I was terrified, but now Mm. it's more of a, just a intellectual (laughs) fascination than, you know, theology, nerd, nerdiness. But um, it's interesting because my theology has, become uh, I've become more able to articulate it and mm. more able to defend it mm. but I don't know how much it's actually changed uh, over the mm. course of my life yeah. um because I grew up in a home where justice and God's goodness uh was emphasized so much um I don't know I've just always started with the assumption that God is good God is loving and the gospel is good news mm. um so, and then building off of that, you know, what, what must be true if that's true, mm-hmm. what can't be true if that's true. Um, and a God who creates people to be gay or bi or trans and then tells them they're wrong for being so is not good news. Right. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's not good. Um, and so I think I've always, uh, in my heart rejected that, um, Mm-hmm. which I feel very thankful for because I don't feel like I've had to carry around uh, a lot of the guilt that I hear, you know, queer Christians talk about having to work through. Um, I think in my heart, I've always known that God and I were cool. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but 
coming to a point where I can uh, explain that to others and help others feel like they're going to be okay has been really important. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, if the gospel is good news, then it has to be (laughs) good news for everybody. Right. Yeah. I think, I think that's true. I think about uh, Broderick Greer, uh, tweets that often. And, and also, um, if theology can be used to oppress us, it can also be used to liberate us. Uh, and I think that's so, that's so true of the way that the way that we view theology the way that we think about God influences so much and it can be used in so many different ways. Um, yeah. And, and I think the, a lot of the major deconstruction I've had to do has been on the topic of sin mm. because I think it's easy. Um, I don't know. This is my own experience. I, I feel like other people can relate to it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's easy once you come to that point of, uh, affirmation or when you've worked so hard to come to that point where you're you know affirming of your own identity it can be hard and uncomfortable and painful to talk about the idea of sin yeah and i think uh just because you know you know you know you've heard other people use that word to describe who you are so many times um and so it's easy to to just not think about it or not talk about what sin is Mm -hmm. and that's been something that i've been working on uh, you know um trying to develop a personal ethic and yeah. defining what sin is. Um, and the, I don't know, I've, what I keep coming back to uh, is just this idea that sin is anything that keeps me from being able to recognize the Imago Dei or the image of God in myself or in others. Mm. Um, and w- starting with that very baseline definition and c- trying to, uh, judge my actions and my ethics by asking myself, you know, does this keep me from being able to recognize the Imago Dei um, mm. in myself or in others? And working from that and building up from that has been a really interesting and beautiful uh, way of talking about sin in a way that doesn't, you know, make people feel like shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I think, I mean, sin can feel like such an icky word. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was interviewed for a podcast yesterday and that exact thing came up. He was like, how do you define sin? And, and I stumbled through an answer because I, because I'm in that spot of like, yeah, that's something I purposely haven't thought about for quite a while because of the baggage that is wrapped up in that word. Yeah. And, it's a hard one. Yeah. And, and not to say that we shouldn't be thinking about it because I very right. much believe that there is a, such a thing called sin and and we need to be kind of serious about it. And also maybe we focus on it too much, but like, <laughs> right. like it's, it's, it's a hard thing when certain theological concepts have been used as bullets. Right. Well, even the word identity, right. You know, is, is a hard one to talk about. I think when yeah. so many LGBT Christians are, you know, come out and are set and are told, Oh, we'll just, find your identity in Christ. You right. Know? Oh, my gosh. oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Like, uh, that, that one. It's <laughs> a big one. It is a big one. Um, would you maybe talk about that one a little bit more? Because that's, that is one that people bring up all the time of like, why are you finding identity in your sexuality? Um, 
shouldn't our identities be in Christ? Um, yeah. How do you answer people? Do you answer oh, people when, when they say that? Yeah, probably not always as nicely as I should. <laughs> <laughs> Fair that enough. That gets me riled up. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just this thing where, um, you know, people who are activists who are trying to be voices for LGBT people told all the time, like, why do you always think about how, why do you always talk about this? You're always right. talking about being gay. I'm like, yeah, because it's, it's resulting in, like, the denial of my rights. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I'm like, I, I would love, you know, if to take one day off and, like, maybe for one day forget about, you know, sexuality and advocacy mm-hmm. and, like, take a break from it. Mm-hmm. But I can't because, like, I have to go to chapel and I'm going <laughs> to, you know, you're going to remind me. Right. Um, you know, the minute I the minute I uh, forget for a second that I'm gay, someone is going to say something that reminds me that, you know, they haven't forgotten. Right. <laughs> um, and so, and not to make it sound like being gay is this giant burden. Like, I love being gay. I'm, you know, out and proud. Right. Um, but it's like going around and punching someone in the face all the time and then saying, why are you always complaining about how much your face hurts? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah but but at the same time like having your identity in christ and i i do you know find my identity in christ my identity as a christ follower is so important and central to who i I am right but it also doesn't negate anything else about me yeah you know um and it doesn't have to and i don't know why people have arrived at this assumption that it is supposed to be your only identity um totally i mean they all have, you know, what, husband, father, coffee lover in their Twitter bio. So. <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it seems like, for the most part, like, that usually only gets thrown at gay people of, yeah. of <laughs> why isn't your identity in Christ? It's like, it, it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> I'm gay. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I'm wondering just in general, like, and this is kind of piggybacking a little bit off of an earlier question, but like what, what <clears throat> words of encouragement would you have to the out people who are kind of blazing paths in difficult communities? What would you say to them? Ooh, I would say that you are doing such important and beautiful work mm-hmm. and there are people benefiting from it that you'll probably never hear about. Mm. Um, there are people watching. Um, there are people who are paying attention to you. Uh, and you know, if you think back to when you were in the closet, there's nothing more formative and more important than being able to, see someone who is out, who is queer and who is, you know, living life and you don't have to do anything incredible. Uh, but to just to see someone who is out and who is okay is such a big deal. Yeah. And, um, that act alone is a radical and an awesome thing. Mm. Um, but I would also say don't, don't let the responsibility of, you know, saving everyone or mentoring everyone or fixing everything fall on your shoulders. Mm. Um, Recognize that your position is an exhausting one to be in. 
mm-hmm. um, I don't know, remember that there are people who understand that exhaustion and there are people who uh, will support you and who will try and carry some of that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to keep in mind that you have to take care of yourself before you can, before you can, you know, truly help other people is a, is a lesson I've been learning slowly. Um, but yeah, just the act of being out is a brave, is a brave one. Even if you're not, you know, blogging or writing or podcasting about it, it's, it's such an important thing. And, uh, just being faithful to, to who you are and being faithful to Christ throughout that is going to result in a community of people finding you. Um, and that is an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Preach. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Ah, Caitlin, thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much been, for having me. Yeah. It's been such a pleasure. Keep up the good work. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You can find Caitlin's blog over at CaitlinJStout.com. That's C-A-I-T-L-I-N-J-Stout.com. Uh, her Twitter and her Instagram are the same, Caitlin J. Stout. Queerology is on Twitter, at QueerologyPod. Or you can tweet me directly, at Matthias Roberts. Queerology is produced with support from listeners just like you. A really easy way to support the podcast is by leaving a review over on iTunes. Uh, just do that in your podcast app or head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash review. And if you want to find out other ways you can support Queerology, head to MatthiasRoberts.com slash support. As always, I'd love to hear from you. If you have ideas of guests you'd like to hear on Queerology, or if you just want to say hi, reach out. There's a little form on my website. Send me a Facebook message, Instagram message. And until next week, y'all, bye. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.